Welcome to Pop Psych 101, where we, licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad and licensed psychologist Dr. Haley Roberts, break down and analyze how mental health is represented in movies, shows, books, and across the pop culture and social media landscape. We will determine what lines up with real life and what is just pop culture fantasy. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad, here with my co-host, Dr. Haley Roberts. Hello, hello. Hello, Haley. We are back again for another exciting episode and, you know, playing around a little bit, hopefully today, as we get to cover something a little bit lighter, thanks to a friend of yours. Yeah, Max. Yes, shout out to Max. Shout out to Max. (laughs) Because today we are covering a kids television show called Bluey. If you haven't heard of Bluey, we're going to tell you all about it. And you can pause and watch an eight minute episode really quickly because that's how long kids shows are today. Apparently that's as long as the uh, attention span that they have. Yeah, it's an eight minutes that packs a punch. Well, it does. Right. So and that's kind of part of what we are noticing with not just this show, but maybe kids television in general these days is Mm -hmm. they get into some real stuff way quicker Uh than maybe you or I did as a kid. I don't know about you, but the shows that I was watching, you know, when I was my daughter's age, four, five, six was certainly not as emotionally insightful as it appears shows like Bluey and probably some other shows out there are. Yeah, I think there were some of the more live action-y ones like Barney and things like that where the intention was specifically to teach those things, but not in the same way that kids show these days are like, hey, by the way, we're teaching you. You just have no idea we're teaching you. <laughs> right, right. It's yeah. it's like uh, overt versus subvert, right? Yeah, like, uh-huh. are, we, are we sneakily teaching you a message? Are we sneakily making you think about these like very adult topics? Or are we just kind of bashing you over the head with them? Uh-huh. And, and we'll get into to Bluey, but... You know, I remember because when was, you know, you, you mentioned Barney and I was like, I think I was too old for Barney. Yeah, I guess Barney was, I just looked it up, 92 to all the way to 2010. Good for you, Barney, making it all the way into the 2010s. So I would have been eight when Barney was oh, just uh-huh. coming out. Yeah, yeah, I probably thought Barney was for babies because yeah, well, by then I was already into Spider-Man. Ninja Turtles <laughs> yeah. and Spider-Man and Transformers. And I wasn't here for circle time and love songs. I was into cool transforming stuff. (laughs) But, you know, and you said when things got into like real life things, and I was thinking about shows that like, what was the first real life characters, real life people show that I watched and Mm -hmm. like stuff like Boy Meets World. Yeah, it was mine. Okay. Yeah. So I, I was trying to think of some other ones from that time period. And of course, now they all like come back. It's like, I guess Saved by the Bell was probably a little bit older, but all those kinds of shows where it's like, yeah, we're we're going to have a very special episode in which, you know, like the famous one was Saved by the Bell is Jesse gets addicted to yeah, speed, basically right? speed, but yeah. it was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it very quickly went from like distracting you with bright colors and music and explosions to 
here is a teenager dealing with drug issues. And there yeah. felt like there was no bridge between those two shows for me, probably. Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe that's why I'm a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that is the only Where reason. Where did we go? How did we get here so quickly? <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, I definitely, I was of the prime age for Barney. And then I was into Darkwing Duck and Tailspin and Rescue Rangers and DuckTales. I remember watching those every Sunday with my brother. Yeah. And then X-Men was my show. I loved Storm. Totally. And then, yeah. And then Boy Meets World. And I can't even really remember other TV shows around that time because Boy Meets World was my show that was every enough. day after school for years. And to this day, I can talk to you about episodes of boy meets world yeah and of course as i'm sure you know now there's girl meets world and it's Corey's daughter oh oh i know (laughs) Um, actually one of my just just to make us feel extra old yeah i know yeah i actually um call my brother's daughter my niche because eric in boy meets world can never get the words niece and niche figured out and he always uses the wrong one (laughs) and so i of course i always call my brother's daughter my niche (laughs) nice yeah yeah and it's funny to think back on how did those shows influence maybe our play right because if i just wanted to take out my robot or ninja sword and chop and attack things those were the games that i then wanted to play with my siblings where it was Mm -hmm. like can we be ninjas can we be robots let's fight each other and i think you know shows like bluey are are clearly (laughs) and encouraging a lot of different types of play and like self-awareness yeah absolutely so we're gonna deep on all that stuff So let's take a quick break here, and then we can dive deep into at least one eight-minute episode of Bluey, if not more. We're going to go over and above an average episode of Bluey. So stick around for right after this break. Hey everyone, Ryan here. No ad this week, but a quick request. We would love to know where you follow us. So if you wouldn't mind taking 10 seconds while you're listening to today's episode, reach out to us on your social media of choice. Say hi, say what's up, request an episode topic. We would love to hear from you. And now back to the episode. Pop Psych 101 discusses mental health as it is portrayed in pop culture media. And because of this, we often cover sensitive topics that can be triggering for some listeners. We also delve into the characters and plots of these stories, and therefore, spoilers abound. So please, use your discretion as you listen to the rest of the episode. Bluey is a animated children's television show currently streaming on Disney Plus. Each episode is about eight minutes long and it is into season two. I don't know. There are like 50 plus eight <laughs> yeah. minute episodes. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole healthy backlog, but we are specifically covering the episode called Copycat, which Haley is season one, episode 36, 38. So close. (laughs) 38. So to give you a quick rundown, Copycat, like any sort of average parent and child day starts out with Bluey and her father, Bandit. 
Bandit wakes up and immediately is, I wanted to say assaulted, because that's how <laughs> I felt as the father watching him sort of bleary-eyed wake up and all of a sudden it's playtime. <laughs> Bluey wakes, Bluey doesn't wake him up, but Bluey immediately starts playing a yeah. sort of classic child's game copycat with her father. Yeah, Bluey is waiting there, ready to play this game. Yeah, you sort of picture Bluey almost like sitting on top of him, waiting for his eyes to pop open. Well, it's because she was. She was sitting on top of him. Yeah, (laughs) that's funny. So immediately starts copycatting. And to Bandit's credit, Bandit kind of goes along with it. He Mm -hmm. makes it fun, makes it an active game, more or less takes Bluey outside. You know, if we're going to be playing this game that I can't imagine Bandit like thoroughly enjoys, it's like, okay, at least let me get my daughter some exercise. So he kind of does the Olympic walking style down the street. And unfortunately, they run into, in passing, after various hijinks, a budgie. Oh, I thought you were going to say the neighbor. They've passed the neighbor, and that's why I giggled. They like pass a neighbor and then he makes like a total fool of himself. And then Bluey just looks at the neighbor and shrugs like, I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> and as soon as yeah, the neighbor's well, well, gone, she continues copycatting yes. him, <laughs> which is so good. Comedically. Yes, a- another very relatable moment, because <laughs> if you really get into play as a parent, especially out in public, can very quickly turn into like uh, awkward glances from <laughs> yeah. passersby. Uh-huh. So... I get the the frustration probably that Bandit was experiencing at this moment. Like, where did where did the play go? All of a sudden, I'm just the idiot. So they continue on down the street, and then they they see a, uh, a hurt bird uh, under a tree. Maybe a bird that's been, as they say later in the episode, maybe attacked by a cat, maybe fallen out of the tree. We don't know. But immediately it takes them out of the sort of play scenario. So they mm-hmm. see this bird, and okay, we've we've got to do something. So Bandit tells Bluey to get a shoebox and a tea towel, right? Mm-hmm. And and another really cute moment of Bluey going into the kitchen and debating on which towel to take <laughs> yeah. off the stove. Uh-huh. Like the one with this picture or this picture. <laughs> yeah, because because it's that's what's those are the things that a kid would think is important. Sort of debate in yeah. that moment, right? Yeah. I would have picked the same one as her, just by the way. Yeah, it was a good choice yeah, for sure. Great choice, yeah. So runs it back. They put the budgie into the shoebox. They bring it to the local vet. The vet takes it in, attempts to give it appropriate veterinary care. And unfortunately, the budgie doesn't make it. So we are seeing Bluey and Bandit cope with the loss of this bird that they just happened to come upon. And it's really interesting, as we were talking about before the break, the sort of seriousness in which they portray this loss right it's not just glossed over okay back to copycat it's they take the time to actually kind of let bluey process this loss so now i had watched a ton of bluey episodes but i i imagine this is one of the first or the first bluey episode that you had seen this was the first one i had seen yeah okay so as a person coming to this show fresh what was your impression sort of with, you know, what feels like in some ways, like how quickly they and seriously they kind of tackle this issue? Well, although I hadn't seen a single episode before, I came in biased by Max's excitement about Bluey. Of course. So I was prepared to be like, yeah, <laughs> but I was impressed. Like, I think that they were able to capture a lot in eight minutes. 
Yeah. And it feels like like it could be a 30 minute with commercials TV show for a 10 year old as well, mm-hmm. except it's boiled down to eight minutes for a younger child. And I think it was like handled really well and it's really cute. And they've got their little Australian accents, which is fun. So yeah, I, I was impressed. So yeah, I really, I really like it. I'm really impressed with it. Yeah, that was my sense as well, is that, you know, you start watching these shows, these these eight-minute episodes, especially back-to-back, because that's what kids do, is mm-hmm. you watch five, six, seven, eight episodes of Bluey in a row to the point where you can memorize not just the intro theme song, but the individual dances that each character does. Oh, funny. And you kind of are starting to watch it as an adult going, Wow, that you know, it seems like they're just playing, but there's like a lot of levels to this stuff. So I, you, you start to kind of give the writers yeah. kudos, right? Yeah. Yeah, I really love that you said that exact phrase. It looks like they're just playing, but there's a lot of layers to this stuff because I think you can take that away from the show Bluey and just put it on the children that you know. Like, it looks like they're just playing, but actually what's happening is so layered, and that will actually be where the majority of our focus is probably this episode, is how play is more than just goofing off for children. Absolutely. That's sort of where the episode takes the experience that Bluey is having, right? So Bluey, even in the car ride home a little sort of stages of grief reenactment of he wants that budgie to not have died. Like, and are you mm-hmm. sure almost in denial? Are you sure it won't get better? Even though they've just been told that the budgie didn't make it. And the dad sort of very calmly, but directly said, no, the, the budgie's not going to make it. And uh, when Bluey gets home, he gets a big hug. Uh, excuse me. When Bluey gets home, she gets a big hug from uh, her mom. Mm-hmm. And then we immediately go back into play. So comfort. And then Bluey is playing with her sister, Bingo. And immediately, immediately wants to reenact this whole day. Mm-hmm. And I, I found myself wondering because... As a, as a parent, I'm like, yeah, that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. But I, I also find myself wondering, like, if you're not a parent and you sort of see this show sort of haphazardly, would that kind of come across as like, no, kids don't do that. That's so weird. But for me, it really felt like it, it kind of nailed it, which is I just went through this thing. Mm-hmm. And now, even if I'm not like talking about it anymore, I want to... I don't want to say relive it, but it's because yeah. because in the play, in between Bluey and Bingo, Bluey wants to reenact it down to the words that her dad uses. So, yeah. So what I will say is you said you, you had a question and let's go to that question. Then we can talk about what. Yes. Bluey... OK. Yeah. So you said if a parent saw this, would they be like, oh, my gosh, that's weird. And you're like, I think they nailed it. And I think you're actually speaking about two different things. Okay. I think they nailed what children do. I think they absolutely nailed what we know about how children process the experiences in their lives that they don't totally understand, but they're working to understand. And I think the answer to your question is, would parents be like, what is my child doing? Yes. And yeah. Okay. That's you're right. That's, that's sort of more. Yeah. Yeah. 
And this episode, the mom was the, playing the vet in their game and came out and mm-hmm. said, the budgie is fine, which I is what I think most parents would do is they'd be like, let's make it so that the budgie doesn't die. And then we can just be happy Retail about it. Retell the story in a happy worry. ending. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I don't think that this show represented the role that a parent would probably play right of like (laughs) let's fix it because when bluey was like no i want to do it when the budgie dies because that's how it happened the mom goes are you sure okay yeah which is absolutely like a really therapeutic way of doing it and it's how a play therapist Mm -hmm. would do it but i do think most parents would be like no let's make the budgie stay alive i think most parents would encourage their child towards a happy ending but what's great is in this episode, the mom does not do that. So then Bluey gets to continue processing. Right. And and we know that that's what's happening. Yes. Is that Bluey is, for her own sake, coming to terms with this experience. Yes. And what's really cool about the way that they portrayed this episode is it's called Copycat. So it starts mm-hmm. with her copying her dad, hopping on one foot and brushing his teeth and blah, blah, blah. But then as she starts to process this, as you mentioned earlier, she copies it down to the words that her dad said during the process of finding the budgie and taking it to the vet and things like that, which is, again, a part of her figuring out how to consolidate what happened in her brain is like copying exactly what happened in her own controlled environment. Yeah, and we have to probably acknowledge that that's sort of a big part of this sort of processing, acting out, playing is about, right? Is yes. it, it is about control. It's, I want to be the adult now. Mm-hmm. I want to be my dad who handled it this way. Yeah. You Or even, I want to be my dad who, you know, at least from Bluey's perspective, wasn't outwardly sad or outwardly... I guess he did sort of say something sort of acknowledging the the sadness of the moment. Yeah. In the vet's office, he really modeled what it is like to be nervous and worried. Yes. Yeah. Totally. In an appropriate way. Yeah. What I think is really cool and cute about A, how this happens and B, how it was represented is children will often take a different role in the situation and the way that I kind of view it is, you know, when somebody like tells you how to do something, you go like, I get it, but I don't really understand until you actually do it. And then you're like, oh, now it makes more sense. I kind of feel like this is the childlike version of that, of I saw what dad did and I experienced what dad Mm -hmm. did, but why did he do it? And how did it feel to do it that way? And what does it mean to be the person who makes those choices? And I think that's kind of why children will often take a different role is to see a different part of that same experience. Like, what did this look like from dad's perspective? What did this look like from the person making choices? And oftentimes, going through it, kids are able to kind of create distance, but in like an understanding kind of a way of if I talk about, no, now you're supposed to be scared. It Mm -hmm. now puts a word to, oh, right. In that moment, I felt scared. Now they don't have the language or the understanding to communicate that that's what they're doing. And that's why they're playing that way is because what kids do know how to do is play and imagine. 
Yeah, and it's in that imagining that the processing happens almost like unseen, right? Because, you know, and you mentioned play therapy before, like therapy with children, and, and for us, this is obvious, but people might not always know, like if, if a child comes in to see a therapist or a play therapist, it is not going to be like your sort of standard uh, in treatment. How does that make you feel? Yeah. It's going to be very different from that. And yeah. it is in many cases going to be encouraging and, and sort of playing out using their imagination, using imagery, using art, using things like a sand tray, which I can talk more about if people are curious, but things like that where it's like, okay, especially if a child has had difficult experiences, how can we create safety? How can we create confidence, you know, in these circumstances, maybe through play, maybe through storytelling, all these different sorts of things, but it's a very different therapeutic process. Yeah, it's a, it's a way different therapeutic process and it's, it's very metaphorical. So if a child mm -hmm. is saying like, oh, the horse is going to the store and we don't know if the horse is going to come back. The therapist might say, oh, is somebody worried that the horse isn't going to come back? And the kid will be yes. like, well, yes, the bunny is worried. And it's like, oh, how does the bunny know the horse? And it'll be like, oh, the bunny is the horse's daughter or son or something like that. And now you learn like, oh, perhaps. And it's not always a direct correlation. I'm really boiling it of down. Course. but. But perhaps this child has separation anxiety. Perhaps this child is worried if my parent leaves, are they going to come back? And play therapy never happens on its own. There's always, I right. will never say never, but play therapy often doesn't happen on its own. It often happens in collaboration with a parent. Sure. And by collaboration, I mean like speak to the parent independently and then do play therapy with the child independently. And you may find mom said last week that she'd be gone for 10 minutes and then she was actually gone for a couple hours and the child had to go to bed before mom got home. And then you're like, okay, so there's a little bit of fear of like, will mom be here when I go to bed? And then you speak to mom about how she can handle that differently to, you know, help with the, the knowledge and the fear of mom will come home. But the child can't say that and oftentimes doesn't explicitly remember that specific memory because memory doesn't right. form the same way at that age. However, when playing, the brain and the body know this experience of someone leaves and the child is worried about the person returning or the animal returning. Yeah, I personally love all of that sort of metaphor work and play yeah. work. I think it's so valuable. And frankly, not just for kids. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I recognize that it shifts at some point. There's no specific age in which you would no longer do play therapy. But I think there's so much value in that. And, and frankly, even for adults, you know, we think about play being a very sort of childish sort of make-believe imagination based thing but you and i were talking before we started today's episode about things like improv which mm -hmm. is something that i indulge in which is basically play right it's just sort of imagination scenarios or prompts and then just sort of like running with wherever your imagination takes you right in an affirmative saying yes to whatever the other players performers are doing i think there's that's about as playful as it gets right mm -hmm. yeah and i think the cool thing is that is quite explicitly playing right that's quite explicitly having fun and what i think is really cool is that play doesn't go away it just looks different 
So yep. the one thing that I know about teenagers across the board is they like their music. Teenagers <laughs> love their music. And oftentimes, if you ask a child or a teenager, like, what's your who's your favorite artist or what's your favorite song at the moment or kind of similar to that play therapy thing say like if you had to pick a song that kind of describes how you're feeling lately what song would you pick and then you go listen to that song you're like oh okay I get it like I see yep I see how you're representing these words that you can't find for yourself and sports can often do that too road rage can do that as well like there's I don't think road rage is play but like Sure. There are. But it's the acting out, right? And, yeah. and acting out is not always obviously bad. It's it's something's happening internally, and then we are putting that out into the world in some other way. Yeah. If through play, through passive aggressive behavior, uh-huh. which, you know, more or less is or directly aggressive behavior. Yeah. Yeah. So, so being able to be a person who recognizes, oh, that's what's happening now. And I think... You know, to get back to Bluey, that's what Bluey's mom does in that moment is, oh, you you want to replay this exactly as it happened for you earlier today or yesterday or whatever the timeline yeah. was. And uh, she just accepts it. And I think that that is that validation is so important because not only does she validate Bluey in that moment of this is how you want the story to play out right now. OK, I'm here. Let's do it. But then later on, and as they continue to play, and and Bingo continues to not play in the way that Bluey wants to, Bluey's mom, Chili, again validates and names Bluey's feelings. Yeah. I think she pretty much explicitly says, like, this isn't how you wanted the story to go, or this isn't how you wanted to play right now. Yeah. And you see the sadness coming out. Yeah. Yeah. And just to explain to our audience, what happens is... Bluey says to mom, no, the bird is supposed to die. And then Bingo, the little sister who is the bird, is like, look, I'm alive and flies around. And Bluey's mom says, like, seems like Bingo didn't know. (laughs) Um, And then Bluey is a little bit disappointed that, wait, no, this is not how this went. But then what's really cool and I think really well represented is Bluey says something like, yeah, but that's okay. We don't always have control over how it ends or something similar to that in child language and dad pops over and says like oh i just noticed you stopped copycatting me and i was like oh Mm -hmm. brilliantly done like brilliant filmmaking right there because that was not something that he had said to her that was an understanding that she had come to herself in the process and It's kind of what she needed to learn about death and disappointment and sadness is that sometimes you don't have control over it. So does it always happen this succinctly? Sometimes, yes. Usually not. But like a really cool thing that it got to go a little bit wrong because it actually allowed a little bit of closure for Bluey. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're back to sort of non-acting out play, right? They're just back into copycatting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, back into just play. And that can be like, like if that was like a curve where it's normal play, oh, something troubling or traumatic has happened. Now the play starts to represent that as we process our feelings. The feelings kind of hit their peak. They start to come down. Maybe they kind of come back up again as they're reenacting the experience. 
and Louis is wanting things to happen a certain way, but but is getting the comfort and validation of mom. And then the feelings kind of then start to pass, right? And I think that is such a powerful lesson, not just for kids, but for adults as well, that if you let the emotions happen, support them, validate them, name them, that that can be such an incredible tool in getting to the other side of the feelings, yeah. getting back to play, like if that's the goal, right? Yeah. Getting back to living. Yeah. 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 So something else that is not directly related to children learning through play, again, this show very well done. I'm super impressed. But what the show did was, so the vet comes and tells them the bird died. And then it zooms out so that we're outside the vet window. And all we can see is dad's shadow talking to Bluey, but we don't hear what's said. And what I really liked about that is it kind of represents that like there's no right way to explain this to your child. There's no, yeah. here's the script. Because in that moment, there literally was not a script. And what I think is really nice is it, A, didn't overstep by saying, this is how you tell, you know, explain this to your child. But it also represented that like, there's not a perfect script for it. There's not a script for it at all. It's you understanding your child and doing your best. And then that child is going to go off and they're going to act it out and play in some fashion yep. and it's going to happen. And if they come to you and do ask or do have questions or do have the words for it, that's wonderful. However, most adults don't have the words for those things. So then it's really hard for children to have the words for those things because they learn the words from their adults. That's right. Yeah. And I think that's, that's why we also see that sort of powerful reenactment of Bluey saying the, solid, calm words that her father was saying throughout that experience. Mm -hmm. Because it's not like Bandit was, let's say, acting out as if someone uh, who was experiencing road rage, right? Where it's uh -huh. like, or ignoring the moment or just sort of like pretending that um, it wasn't a big deal. Sort of being that sort of like solid, emotionally honest role like modeling right yeah. modeling that it's okay to just sort of acknowledge what's happening naming it but also not ignoring it just sort of yeah. staying with the moment and that modeling was so beautiful because i think one of the greatest disservices that we can do for our children is tell them to not be sad because they already are and we do it so naturally so yes your child comes to you and they're crying and you go oh sweetie don't be sad i don't know what to tell you i'm already sad now all I'm thinking is that it's wrong that I'm sad, even though that response was said with compassion and said with love and said with support. What it does is it says like, don't do what you're doing. Don't feel what you're feeling. Yes. And yep. that makes it hard to bring to your parent when you are feeling sad because you're like, I'm not allowed to do this. And what was really nice about what Bandit Bluey's dad did was he was just like, yeah, I don't know if this is going to turn out well. I'm scared. And the animation, he was like a little bit fidgety as well in the vet office. I was like, shop? What's it called? The, the vet office. And I think that that was really a cool representation of like, I'm scared too. And I'm sad too. Yeah. And okay, be sad. Because yeah. you are anyway. Totally. Yeah. 
Yep. Yeah, so we've heaped all this praise on Bluey, and I would be remiss if I didn't uh, acknowledge some of the criticism of the show that does exist out there. Yeah. And I should point out, this is 100% criticism from the adults of or parents of the kids watching the show. The mm-hmm. kids love it. It's, it's light. It's fluffy. It's fun. Oh, it's I mean, show. my daughter... My daughter copies so much of her play is directly or at times when she was watching it really like directly from the show, uh-huh. like little games and stuff, the things she would do. It's just like directly copied from the show. Mm-hmm. And the writers on it clearly intentionally and, and even uh, in an article that I'll, that I'll quote here acknowledges that he wanted to portray a healthy modern version of a dad specifically. Mm -hmm. So bandit is supposed to be basically the series creator uh, whose, whose name is Joe Brum. He also is the father to two daughters and he uh, did a lot of work from home and he wanted to represent the kind of father that he was, you know, Mm -hmm. doing household chores, being a good dad, you know, showing up and playing with your kids, all these sorts of things. Because, and this is this is true, you know, he kind of points out, like, think of other dads in popular media, especially television, especially kids' television. Yeah. If you were to just name one off the top of your head, what, what dad comes to mind? That's so funny. The show Arthur came to mind, but I've literally never seen it. <laughs> okay, so, so I, I'm pretty familiar with Arthur. Arthur's actually a pretty good example and a, and a more modern example. That's so funny. That's what Arthur's I was dad from, yeah, from all of my exposure is like pretty solid. Uh-huh. But, you know, another show that we've covered recently, Simpsons, been on for 30 years, close yeah. to. Obviously, Homer Simpson is, you know, has become more emotionally complex in, in, yeah. recent, uh, in recent seasons. But he's known for like being kind of an idiot and you know, strangling his son. Yeah, yeah. And I think most shows, um, and I this is absolutely changing, however, most shows represent mothers as the primary parent and fathers, and I use this word intentionally, babysit their children rather than parent their children. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and not only are, are they babysitters, but they're sort of either like, you know, the sort of Homer Simpson example, or they're kind of like, I don't know if you have an exposure to Peppa Pig, which is another like huge current kids show. Nothing but bad things about Peppa Pig from yeah. a psychology. Well, and, and Daddy Pig uh-huh. is basically just like uh, how to describe him. He's like he's good, good natured, but uh-huh. he's just kind of like it's like those terrible um, like. Uh, yeah, so that's a good word for it. You know, like the the made for TV products where the adults are always like jumbling all their Tupperware or like falling down the stairs. Like oh, Daddy fine. Pig can't read a map, like can't barbecue <gasps> oh, no. or make things without screwing thumbs up. Like he's always causing disasters, basically. Oh. So that's those are like that's the spectrum of dads, right? Mm-hmm. It's there's like things in between, and and now to have Bandit who. Almost every single episode is like actively fully engaged in the imagination and play of his two daughters Mm -hmm. is like a huge switch from, I think, what people are used to. Yeah. So is that switch, you know, all the way to the other side of the spectrum, while it's probably really cool for kids to see like their parents as friends, as 
playmates is it can't be the only way that parents are portrayed yeah and what's so funny is so i watched copycat and then i watched yep two other episodes six and eight of the first season and i totally had the thought is there ever a moment where bandit gets upset with the kids or does not play with them or gets some space with them in a like accurate representation of a parent (laughs) and also not only an accurate representation of a parent but also to show children that their parents don't need to entertain them they are able to play alone as well and i asked you that before we started recording and you had a you had an answer for me well yeah so there is like one or two examples that come to mind for me one is the um actually the first episode of the whole series is called the magic xylophone where bandit like comes up with this game where they have a xylophone and hitting different notes does all these different magical things and he's like fully into it but obviously can't play forever he has to leave the kids continue the game but because dad's not there they're sort of fighting over it and then dad gets back and it's you know all we see is dad playing dad going presumably to work and by the way he's a paleontologist because he's a dog so he's into bones right oh, yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and gets back and immediately is kind of thrust back into play mm-hmm. and so that's that's one example and the other example was one of the other episodes that i shared with you where it's basically dad's playing gets finally gets the kids to bed and then the next we see of dad is that he's just asleep hugging his rugby ball and like uh-huh. acting out the the play that he wishes he could uh-huh. <laughs> he wishes he could do and mom even acknowledges like yeah well dad doesn't get really time to play with his you know play rugby anymore play with his friends and we don't actually see that addressed outside of bluey's dream sequence in which it's yeah. like oh like bluey gets to dream about dad going to play rugby with his friends mm-hmm. but it doesn't actually happen and yeah. i think that's sort of my and and certainly other parents that i've talked to concerns like well why can't the sort of moral of that episode be like hey dad like me and my sister are gonna play on our own like you go play rugby or something like uh-huh. can't and not the kids are supposed to have that much awareness you know at that very young age but it would be nice if the parents were also like had their own life. boundaries where they didn't have yeah. to be the playmate all the time i guess yeah. is what i'm saying yeah i don't know I completely agree. And even what's interesting is the the magic xylophone one that you described. What I hear from that is play only works when dad's here. So, you know, yeah. when dad wasn't here, we couldn't figure it out ourselves, but that's okay. We'll wait until dad gets home and then he'll play with us again and he'll fix it. And then I think it's really important to teach children that they can play alone. So yeah. first and foremost, Play with your children. I think that's the first rule. I'd rather you default in that direction. However, of course, also teaching your children, A, that you have boundaries and that in return, they are allowed to have boundaries and B, that they can play alone actually teaches them independence. So if they kind of create this idea that play only works if dad's here, then they don't learn how to structure the magic xylophone without him. They don't learn how to create it themselves. They don't learn how to play on their own. And so I also a little bit was like, 
okay, but if a parent doesn't have their own life, then they're not putting on their metaphorical oxygen mask either. If dad's not going and playing Mm. rugby or hanging out with his friends at least once in a while, and it's always about only playing with his children, he's going to get to a burnout point because children are wonderful, but also they're children. Like imaginary play is not as fun and exciting and fulfilling for adults as it is for children. And so you can't spend your whole day there as a parent. Yeah. And and I, it's funny, especially that my daughter watched this in the first time we got into Bluey was in like the first months of the pandemic uh-huh. where I was, was home. home with her uh-huh. all day, every day. Uh-huh. So it's like, oh, let's build forts. Let's build Legos. Let's play freeze tag. Let's play magic xylophone. And it, I mean, there was nothing else for my wife and I to do with her at certain points. It's just like, okay, now, and and like, you don't want to, but at certain points, okay, this teacher on this Zoom is is going to do something with you for half an hour. Mm-hmm. But that's this that's the reason why. It's that as much as we are happy that our child wants to play with us, mm-hmm. we also want her to want to and be able to play on her own, yeah. play with others, and not have any of those be, let's say, seen as like the lesser of any of the other options. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Yes, absolutely. Not lesser, just different. And I also have seen like with a lot of adults, they feel like they have to have an excuse as to why they don't want to play. And this may be a point of argument, but my personal belief is that you don't need an excuse. You can just say like, hey, I'm not playing right now, but why don't you go build Legos? And then when you're done, come grab me and show me what you built. So what you've said there is, no, I'm not going to play right now. And quite frankly, I don't want to, but you wouldn't say it that way. (laughs) And you are capable of going and playing by yourself and to a point where at the end of it, I can come and join in and see what you've done and be like, this is amazing. You did this all by yourself. Oh my gosh. So cool. Tell me about it. What does this do? What's this room? And it's still quote unquote, playing with your child, right? Because you're not just like, go in the other room and I don't care what happens. But you are also saying, no, I'm not doing this right now. And you don't need me to do like you may, yes, it's always more fun to play with somebody else or and particularly more fun to play with your parent because oftentimes parents will lead the play and parents have more ideas because they've lived more. But I think there's so much power at a certain age, um, and it's basically preschool age, in saying, go and play independently, and then tell me about it later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that suggestion. And it's it's interesting because... So in this in this article, and, and look, and I, I want to I want to be very upfront here. Like I'm not mad that my daughter wants to play with me. Like, <laughs> Certainly it's, not. No, it is a gift. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And also, you're uh, and what I'm trying to say here is like definitely play with your children. However, like yeah. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. At some point, you just don't want to. You know, all day every day is exhausting. Like you get to cook dinner, yes. or answer a phone call, or watch the rugby or cricket game. Like. Being, or yeah. bandit wanted to. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And and that's why I think the balance as it continues to shift is just important for us to yeah. pay attention to. Because I, I work with a lot of parents, and especially in 
the times that we're dealing with in the pandemic, boundaries are even sort of harder to come by, right? Mm -hmm. People are working at home, um, kids are doing school from home. So that sense of like, well, at least I get to go in my car, and then I go away to work. And then like, I, I build myself back up to come back home and, you know, pick the kid up from school or, or then we get to go play or do something like, at least that transition kind of helps me prepare for that, that adjustment. Yeah. But now it's just like, home is work and uh-huh. is play and is school. Yeah. So it's much harder for everyone. And it's not just hard for the parents, like the kids are also struggling with a lot of that adjustment yeah. as well. Absolutely. I also want to make it clear that I also, and I think I did make this clear, but I want to say it again, like play with your children. Like if you're going to use what I just shared as like an out to not play with your children, then I want to make it very clear that that is not at all what I was saying, but also like giving them opportunities to learn how to be independent as well as taking care of yourself. Yeah. We're sort of sort of acknowledging the sort of other side of what, I think we both agree is a really great show and it's really yeah, great so that good. kids can see these positive examples of parents playing because that's another thing that's that's great from those sorts of examples it's like it might start really healthy conversations it might start really uh, great imaginative play for your kids mm-hmm. so it's this is a way more a positive thing than a negative thing i think Absolutely. you know it's just sort of acknowledging because I think that, and that's why we why we do this show. It's like, hey, here's a portrayal of a thing that you know is is parallel to mental health, parenting, responding to trauma as a as a human being, mm-hmm. play, mm-hmm. and is that being portrayed with a specific a specific intent? Is it just being portrayed for entertainment value? If that's the case, is there any? downside to it just being portrayed for entertainment value Mm -hmm. and and that's where we're sort of exploring these topics and i think it's that's why i personally love these conversations because it's like oh isn't it fascinating how kids and adults respond to this show in in such different ways Mm -hmm. you know across the board so do they respond that differently because i'm super into this show so (laughs) so i'll say this Compared to a lot of children's television, this is like cream of the crop. This Uh is very good. That being said, it's still children's television. So as the parent, it's like, oh, man, another Bluey episode. Like as soon as you hear the the first two chords of the, Uh you know, the song, like even if you know it's like great examples and great imagination, it's like, oh, man, like if my kid comes running here trying to play, trying to freeze me with the magic wand again, like yeah. I'm going to lose it. <laughs> like yeah, totally. that's, that's what it is. Okay. You know, just like I've talked to parents who hate other kids' television shows, uh-huh. you know, whether it's Coco Melon with the little kids or I think the God, repetition, there's a lot of really the, weird stuff out the there. The repetition of yeah. anything yeah. gets frustrating. Yep. Yep. For sure. But it's also built to fire very specific synapses in a child. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, so I'll share this because this is sort of a, a, a personal experience with this. So my daughter, Bryn, has watched shows like Bluey where they deal with very real issues. And then we as parents are like, oh, that's that's great that she's able to you know, talk to us about, you know, if, if someone or something dies. And then it's like, oh, now she wants to watch like you and I were talking about Boy Meets World. Like she has watched Girl Meets World and she's uh-huh. watched The Babysitter's Club where it's like, progressively more and more real Uh dramatic issues right and then 
And again, I should point out she's six and it's like, oh, I want to watch Twilight or she saw like yeah. a Spider-Man trailer or something. And it's like, OK, not at yet. what point? Yeah. Right. And that's that's the decision both as a parent of like, yes, it's good for them to be exposed to these things and for these conversations to be able to happen. Do you expose it? Do you, do you let them sort of make that decision? And it's like, yeah, I'm ready for this, even though it's that's a good example of like, this is for entertainment purposes. Like this is basically a soap opera. Uh-huh. Like this is not made for you to handle what's being portrayed as like a growing child. That's when the parents then have to, I think, make well-informed decisions yeah. on what your kids can handle. But yeah. you also want your kid to know what they can handle. So it's a, yeah. it's a really tough line to walk. So my response to that is there is no topic that a child cannot handle. Sure. However, there is a age appropriate way to have the conversation with the child. Right. Right. So if your daughter, you said she's six. Yeah. So if she were to go and watch like the new live action Spider-Man, if somebody or something were to die in that, that looks very different than the bird dying in Mm -hmm. blue. So that's gonna be handled very differently. Yeah. Yeah. I do not think that her little socio-emotional brain is ready for death in that form. However, communicated to her the way that Bluey communicated it is perfect. And yeah. and yeah. I think like I've heard things like, oh, my child's too young to understand racism. And it's like, no, mm. like black children understand racism real young. So white children definitely yep. can too. Or for sure. Death or childbirth or a lot of things that kids often have questions about parents will be like oh the stork brought them and it's like "Eh, no like explain to them what happens Mm -hmm. you know like a baby is grows in mommy's tummy (laughs) you know um you don't have to be like well mom has a uterus and right right yeah and i think that that's really important is yes children should be able to kind of figure out what they can handle but also when you're growing up, you think you can handle more than you actually can. And I remember mm-hmm. I saw a movie when I was like 13 or 14 that was rated R. And I was not traumatized by it, but I also wasn't totally ready to watch it either. And I remember going yeah. to bed that night being very uncomfortable because I didn't really understand what was happening. So the movie was Cruel Intentions. Yeah. So like, it's not, oh, sure. it's yeah, not yeah. a bad movie by any means, but it's just like, there's a lot of like sex related conversations and mm-hmm. topics. And, and I just like, I didn't fully get it. But also, I was also like thirteen or fourteen, so I like understood what they were talking about. But like the the of relational course. interactions between them were very confusing to me. And so I remember just like going to bed that night, being like, I don't exactly understand what happened. And I often think about that. Of do I think it's bad that I saw it? Absolutely not. However, I'm like, that's why there's ratings. Like this is why there's ratings on things. Well, yeah, and it's such an interesting dilemma for a parent because I I totally get parents who are like, you want to watch that? Sure, I'll let you watch it. And then if you're like upset or confused by it, we can talk about it. Mm -hmm. And then I also understand the parents who are like, "Um, no, you cannot watch that. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can handle it. You can watch it 
you know, when I think you're ready. But, you know, also knowing myself as a child, like the things that I was told I wasn't ready for were the things I wanted to most know what they were about. Yeah. So it's it's an important conversation to be able to validate that that curiosity and that interest. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was just gonna say, because it's like, you know, as the parent, you're like, oh, OK, you want to watch X. If my answer is no. I, I need to have some justification because there's one thing that I, I know for sure with working with kids, and that is because I said so is not effective. <laughs> totally. It's not. I think like if your child comes to you and says, oh, dad, I'd like to see the Spider-Man movie. And you say, what about it? Do you want to see? And mm-hmm. if she's like, I don't know, I just think it would be cool. A conversation you can have is, OK, how about I watch it first? And then we can talk about whether you watch it. And then you come and say like, so I'm not comfortable with you watching it. And here's why children are so much more willing to listen to you. If you have an explanation rather than like you said that because I said so. Yep. And you can also kind of say like, okay, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with you watching it, but now that I've seen it, if you really want to watch it, you can watch it. And then know that like you can come talk to me about it if you have any questions or you're mm-hmm. concerned. Or like we can watch it together. Like yeah. there's there's the conversation about it is actually yeah. pretty valuable. Much in the way the conversation that Bluey has with her mom after the the play attempt is really valuable. I mean, we can if if this conversation went very differently, like if Chili Bluey's mom was like, "Well, I'm not going to have your daughter." die in this game like if you just sort of rejected it and shut it down and it's just like and it was just like bluey like we're not playing that way Uh you know you could see the sort of emotional blockage kind of start to happen right where it's like oh but i don't understand or why or i just want to talk about it or i'm just playing and all of a sudden it becomes thing where it's like well we're not talking about it or we're not dealing with this or not that way or not in the way that you want and that now it's a very different emotional response to this event. And that's why these conversations, interactions are, are so important. Are so important. And if the mom had done that, it would have, like you kind of said, like, I wanted the things I was kind of told I wasn't allowed to. If mom was like, no, we're not doing it that way, that emotional blockage would have happened. It also would have made it so much more of a more confusing, bigger deal because Bluey would have been yeah. like, but that's how it happened. So why... Like, why, you know, like the don't be sad. Well, like I'm what already was, What sad. was wrong about the way it happened? Yeah. Like yeah you I'm, start to I'm question it for yeah. sure. Yeah. Instead, yeah. mom let it happen. And then it ran its course. And then they kind of just moved on in a really appropriate way. And kids do that. They totally yes. do that. They move on once their brain has processed it enough if they have outlets for processing it. Uh, and sometimes it requires right. learning skills, which is why yeah. taking children to therapy is wonderful. But yeah, I think you're totally right. Like it was meaningful that it wasn't like, no, 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 we're not doing it that way. Let's figure out how to do yeah. it together. And and definitely for younger children, you'll edge more towards let's do it together. And then as they hit like preteen teens, it'll be like, I'll do it and you do it. And then we can talk about it because there are just certain things like cruel intentions. If my mom had been like, let's watch cruel intentions together. I would have been so mortally scarred. 
<laughs> right. that, been like, that's not, not exactly the compromise you were looking for. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so, so, you know, we're, it, it can go in so many different directions and, and obviously you and I can go in so many different directions, even with just eight minutes of content. So uh-huh. I think we should keep challenging ourselves. How short of a content source can we do a whole episode on? If you guys have other ideas, a TikTok, oh my gosh. a YouTube video, like what else could we do? Maybe we need to go under five minutes. We'll see. I accept this But for challenge. this one, we should definitely stop here. <laughs> I agree. So, so let's do some reviews for Bluey. So yeah. we didn't talk about this before. And so I'm just going to throw it at you. Okay. So let's see. Haley, on a scale of one to five Big Ben tea towels. <laughs> That's what I was going to choose. Uh, well, too late. Because that's not the one she goes with. It's the other one. That's That's so funny. It's the other one. Okay. How accurate do you feel like this portrayed a healthy emotional processing or response to a loss? Because that's sort of what this is for the first time for Bluey. Yeah. So on a scale from one to five Big Ben tea towels, I give this episode like a four and a half an accuracy because it really portrayed how children use play to process the experiences that don't make sense to them or that are new to them. And it it showed how they model from the adults in their lives. So she copied what her dad did to try to understand what was happening. I also think it did a really good job of portraying good therapeutic parenting as well. And so, yeah, I like, I think so. Okay. So it did a good job representing therapeutic parenting. I don't know that it did a good job representing parents worrying about their children's mental health and processing. Mm. Okay. Sure. Because mom was just like, are you sure? Okay, fine. Whatever. This is not how you wanted it to turn out. Okay. Like, I think it would have been a little bit more like, are are you sure that's how you want to play it? Okay, it's not scary, you know, because I yeah, think... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a little bit more sort of emotional reflection. Yeah, yeah, I think even you and I who are therapists, when it comes to like the children in our lives, we are way more like, I want to protect you. I don't want you to process. <laughs> um, and yeah. like, I don't want you to have to process. Yep. And so I it didn't super represent that. But I think overall, yeah, four and a half. It was great. It was a good eight minutes. Max was right. nice well thank you again to max yeah so i'm thinking there might be somebody better than you to rate how entertaining it is would you agree i would absolutely agree and i i happen to have someone here who would love to share her opinion on the entertainment value of bluey so if you stick around after we end the episode, you will have a review uh, by the one and only Bryn of what she thinks of Bluey. Because who better to to give you the entertainment value than someone than who the intended audience of this show is for? Excellent. So please follow us at Popsych101 on the socials. And we now have a Patreon that we would love you to support us on where we'll have bonus content. Um, any Anything else? No, that is more than enough. We are yeah. we're we're stretching our our time limit here. So thank you all so much for listening. As always, please, as as Max did, feel free to suggest other shows and movies for us to cover. We'll do more kid stuff. We'll do more silly stuff. Happy to to play around here. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye. 
Bye. So, Bryn. Yes. We are talking about the episode of Bluey called Copycat, right? Yes. You saw that episode? Yeah, I just saw it. You just saw it? Yes. And how entertaining, how much do you like watching the show Bluey on a scale of one to five? Five being um, the best show ever. So I would say it's like a four for me. Okay. Like, yeah. And what makes it a four? What do you like about the show Bluey? Um, probably how funny some of the characters are mm-hmm. and how funny some of the kids are. And I really like the teachers and the friends and the designs on them. And what lesson do you think this episode was trying to teach? I think it was trying to teach something that recently happened to me. Oh, really? What? Um, it's okay. Uh, it's okay to be sad when somebody dies. Yeah, it sure is. Because the bird mm-hmm. died because it got knocked around by the cat yes. and it didn't get care quick enough. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, um, and then Bluey, like, acted it out with her sister, right? Yeah. Yeah, what would you think about that? I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. Do you think it helped Bluey feel better? Yes. Does play help people feel better, you think? Yes. Yeah, that's a good lesson. But we didn't play the play what happened to the next door. No, we didn't play that out. Do you want to play that out? No. Okay. So some things you can play about, some things you don't. Yeah, some things you do definitely not want to play about this one. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Well, um, any any favorite characters or any favorite jokes that uh, you like from Bluey? Um, they don't really do jokes. Like, or like, what's the, your favorite game that Bluey plays with her dad? Um, probably the horsey ride one with the they had to get married. The ones where. Bluey's dad and Bluey's dad's friends have to pretend to be horses that are getting married. Yeah. yeah that one is the funniest. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on my show to talk about Bluey. All right. Anything else you want to say? You forgot something. What's your favorite character? Oh, what's your favorite character? Who's your favorite <laughs> character in Bluey? Probably Bingo. Bingo. So you like Bluey's little sister, Bingo. Yeah, but I I have a couple favorite characters. Okay. Anyone else you want to shout out? Um, I don't know the. I don't. We. I can't really remember her school. The kids at her school named. Okay. But I like those characters. All the kids at school. Not all of them. Just some of them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So like, what do you think about Bluey's dad? Is he a good dad? Yeah, he's a very funny dad. He's a funny dad. <laughs> and he lo- and he, he's really good at playing with. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on the show. You're welcome. Bye. Bye.